to have to uh, stand before your people and minister the word of God. Holy Spirit, I yield myself over to you and I, I make room for you to do the work that no other man can do, that no man can do, Father God. I make room for you to teach your people, to impart your word, to, to bring us the living word, Father God, to bring us hope, to bring us healing, to bring us restoration. And I thank you and praise you, Father God, that as this word goes forth, it shall accomplish that which you have purposed it to accomplish, Father God. Father, that it will be received on, on good ground, Father God. And I just give you praise and thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week when I taught, there was one thing that I taught. And I asked you to look it up. Oh, man. You were like, oh, no. Holy Spirit reminded him. Who remembers? Anybody? Peculiar. Peculiar. That's right. Did anybody look it up? I did. Amen. So, okay. Um, it's in First Peter um, chapter 2 and verse 9. And... Let's go ahead and open and turn there real quick. And this is not part of the sermon. This is just, you know, to take care of last week's business, right? So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And what I had told you was that, uh, you know, you're a peculiar people. And that doesn't mean weird. Right? Because a lot of people read this and they say, oh, you know, that describes Christians. You're all weird. But that's not what this means. So let's read the whole verse. Uh, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I like verse 10 as well. It says, uh, "But Which time you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I like that. Amen. You know, that's the transformation that, that we have when we're born again. Um, we had not obtained mercy previously, but now we have obtained mercy. Amen. So when somebody calls you peculiar, I want you to know exactly what God is saying to you. So peculiar comes from two different words, um, and I'm not going to try and pronounce them, but the, the gist of it is that they are people of a set time and a set purpose. That's what it means when God is talking about that you're peculiar people. You're, you're people of an ordained time. You're people who are placed in a position by God in a certain time for a certain purpose. You're not weird. You're called. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the other part of it uh, is by extension, uh, it means preservation and it means saving. That's what you're called to do. That's why we're placed here. We're called to, to minister the Lord. And that's why verse 10 uh, really stands out to me all the time when I read that, because in which time we were not a people, we didn't have that calling. But as soon as, as, soon as God made sure our election as the body of Christ, we received that calling, and that calling was to show forth his mercy. That calling was to show forth his salvation. Remember, we talked about that just a, a little bit, and Christine said that she didn't get it the first time that I talked about it, but remember we were talking about uh, we having that treasure in earthen vessels, and I talked about that treasure being like the treasure room in National Treasure, and that the thing that Riley was most excited about was seeing the staircase in the back, and it was the way out. And that's what people, when they look into our lives, are seeing as a way out. Amen? And that's what makes us peculiar. <laughs> Amen. All right, so first, 
before I, before I start this sermon, I want you to know that this is not pointed at any particular person. <laughs> I wrote this. I studied it. I prepared it. I lived it. And mostly it's towards me. But if you should happen to, uh, you know, relate, you're in good company. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to start off with a little story. Long, long time ago, when I was an immature Christian, last month, I was on a road trip. Oh, it is off. It's just plugged in. Oh, no, it's, it's totally off. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Um, all right, so anyways, long, long time ago, last month, when I was an immature Christian, I had to go to a hazmat meeting. It was my ninth one. They're all exactly the same. Have you ever sat through a class nine times and heard exactly the same thing, seen exactly the same videos, heard exactly the same stories, learned exactly the same material? Dry, dry material. And the one thing that, that happened in the very, very first day of the, of the seminar, they said, we expect... This, by the way, the seminar took place uh, in Burlingame, just outside of San Francisco. My hotel was directly across from the runway, directly across from the runway of San Francisco International Airport. And between me and the airport was a lovely train that went by every 15 minutes with a crossing guard. So the horns of the train had to be blown every 15 minutes all night. And ding, 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 ding. There was no sleep for three days. Okay? So my only encouragement in this whole thing, coming to this thing, knowing everything that I was going to be going through, was at least it's going to be over soon, right? <laughs> Thank God. So, and it, But it had to be done. It's a certification that I have to maintain in order to ship. So it has to be done. So I went, and the very first day they said, we expect we're going to have this for lunch and this for lunch and this for lunch. And we expect that on the last day, you'll be taking the test as soon as lunch is done. The test should take no more than an hour. That means you should be out of here by 1 o'clock. And I said, praise God. Because if you've ever been in San Francisco, about 3 o'clock, rush hour starts. And yeah, there's six lanes of traffic, both directions. And yeah, every single one of those cars is sitting there, just sitting there. And so I was so excited. I was so very excited. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm so excited. And so I told Christine, because I was supposed to have class that night, and I was missing class all week, and this is a class that's really hard to miss, because when you miss, you miss a lot. So I told her, you know, I think if everything goes according to schedule, that I'll be able to leave here and then get back in town in time to go straight to school and then I can you know hopefully not miss everything and yeah so Thursday comes and I'm like oh man and and I know this material inside and out but people are struggling people that had never been in the situation are struggling and so we're behind and they announce we're still gonna take that test right after lunch but there's going to be a slight deviation and variation in the plan and, 
you know, but we're still, you know, intending right after lunch. So I'm still hopeful. How many of you know Proverbs says, hope deferred makes a heart sick, <laughs> right? So I have great hope. And as the hours go by that day, that hope is being diminished because we're going nowhere. We spent the first four hours of the day covering stuff that we had covered previously and confusion was abounding. And I'm sitting there praying and binding confusion and trying to help this person and trying to help this person. And the lady who's up teaching, it was her first time teaching the thing and the poor lady just did not, she was not ready to be teaching by herself. And she was saying things that were wrong. And I was sitting there saying, don't listen to that, that's not right. <laughs> and the girl next to me is going, are we ever gonna get out of here? I'm so confused, let's just take the test. And murmuring and complaining starts. And I'd like to say that I didn't take part in it. And this is why I say, a long, long time ago, a month ago, I was immature in my faith. Right? Amen. Sometimes we have bad days. Sometimes we have bad weeks. Sometimes our plans get derailed. Sometimes things that are beyond our control jump up, grab us, hold us in place, and we are powerless, or so we feel. Even when we think we know it, even when we think that it's repetitive, even when we think we've been down this road before and we know where it goes, I know the shortcuts, I know the paths, I know how to get there, I can do this, we still have to maintain the course and follow through. But sometimes there's just bad days. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Um, bad days. Um, what used to always happen to me was I would get upset, angry, mad, and question why. Everybody's going, yeah. But remember, I'm talking about me, not you. So. And something that I learned very, very early on was to go read. Go get the Bible out and read. Replace what's in your mind and get a different thought going. And so what would I open to? I'd just open the Bible and randomly start to read. And these are the types of scriptures I would end up reading. Psalms 9.2. It says, I will rejoice in you and be in high spirits. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And I go, oh, that's not it. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm not alone. So then I'd flip a couple of pages, and I'd hit Psalms 31.7, and they would say, I will rejoice and be glad in your mercy. I will rejoice in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction, and you have taken note of my life's distresses. Well, that's a little closer. I'm afflicted. I'm a little bit distressed, but that's still not it. There's too much joy in this thing, and I, I want to revel in being mad here. So then I'd flip a few more pages, and I'd hit Psalm 68.3. But let the uncompromisingly righteous be glad. What? Stop saying this. <laughs> so then what do you do? I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> Why are you doing this? You're tormenting my soul. Right? Let them be in high spirits and glory before God. Yes, let them jubilantly rejoice. And then I'd say, uh, let's just go one more time. We'll try this one more time. Then you'd hit Psalms 96, 11. 
And then you say, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all the things that were in it. And I go, okay, that's good because that doesn't include me. Well, wait, I'm in it. (sighs) Right? Does that ever happen to anybody else? It happens to me a lot. It's hard to read the word sometimes when you're in the midst of a circumstance, when you're in the midst of a situation. So then you come to church and you have a pastor, not our pastors, but you have a pastor who stands up there and they say, we're going to preach today out of James chapter 1. Right? What does James chapter 1 say? Count it all joy. Right? And so what is the message usually that comes forth? You're in the midst of a, of a situation. You're in the midst of a trial. You're in the midst of a mess. And you better be happy about it. <laughs> and that's not at all what that is saying. When, when, he, when God's saying that in, in James chapter 2, or James chapter 1, verse 2, what, he, what he's saying when you look in the Greek is in the midst of a situation that is completely overwhelming you and over, over it's a pit. You're in a pit, you're in a hole, you're completely overwhelmed, you're enveloped in this whole thing. You can see no possible way out. You can still have joy. He's not saying you have to have joy, but he's saying that you can still have joy. You can still have joy because God has not forsaken you. God has not abandoned you. God is still God. He's still sitting on the throne. He still judges righteously. He still brings forth justice. And he's still on your side. I was thinking this morning about, God, do you ever stop moving? Sounds like a dumb question, right? But these are the kinds of questions that I ask God. It's just how I am. Do you ever stop moving? From the very beginning of creation, from Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is hovering, brooding above the waters. And when you look up that word, hovering and brooding, what it's actually saying is he's quivering and shaking. And what is he quivering and shaking in? Anticipation from the word, the command of God to go forth, to bring forth, to create. That's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. That's the same Holy Spirit that wants to to be our partner, who wants to walk with us. And so I did learn a few things over the years. And it did come in handy when I'm driving home in that traffic after being upset all day long. I get in the traffic and I'm thinking, oh, it's moving. Thank God it's moving. Oh, praise you, Lord Jesus, it's moving. Put on Planet Shakers. Start driving. Driving home, right? Oh, man. Between San Francisco and Gilroy, it took me three hours. That was the look I had right there. (laughs) Terry nailed it. I called Christine and I told her, I won't be home in time to go to school. I won't be home in time for dinner. I will be home. (laughs) But it won't be soon. And I got to tell you, depression came, man. It was like, oh, God, the weight of that. Just And you look around and you see the people all around you and the weight of all the people around you and everybody's irritated, everybody's upset, and everybody's going, why? Why? And then you got some guy who's in front of you who's changing six lanes across all six lanes, and you're like, why? You went nowhere. What are you doing? You almost hit me twice. Stop. 
irritation, strife, not of God, not of God. Yet in the midst of this, and this is why I say a long time ago when I was an immature Christian, because a long time ago when I really was an immature Christian, I wouldn't have ran into God. And in that time, what I ended up doing without thinking about it was just, I just started praying in the Holy Ghost. I don't know why. You do. <laughs> but I just began to pray in the Holy Ghost. And, and I started like really listening to the music that was on in the background to just quit still my mind. Because this situation was overwhelming. I was engulfed in the midst of all these millions of cars and I had nowhere to go, but I had somewhere to go and my plans were being laid aside and I was just enveloped and there was absolutely nothing I could do. I was totally powerless to correct the whole situation. But what I did was I turned to God and I said, God, I know this situation is not beyond your control. I know that it's beyond my control and I'm just going to rest and trust in you. Because I can't do anything about it, I'm just going to commit it to you. And so I started praying in the Holy Ghost. I started listening to music. I had, I'll be honest, I had to switch to the slower songs. It's hard to sit in traffic and listen to upbeat music. Because you want to put your foot on the gas and go. <laughs> and you ain't going anywhere. So, that's the thing about maturity as a Christian. And I think sometimes we who have been Christians for a long time kind of forget what it's like to live without God or just barely knowing God. And uh, it's hard sometimes. We, we get swallowed up in situations and we think, man, we should be better than this. We should be past this. I should be stronger than this. I shouldn't be yielding to this. And so I was asking God about it while I was preparing this. And God told me, you still live in the world. There's still an enemy who's here. He's still going to harass you. It's never, ever going to stop. And I'm going to take you to the scripture that he took me to in a little bit. And you probably won't like it either. But I'll tell you what he told me. He said, not every moment of your life will feel like victory. Every, every moment of your life is victory. Every moment that we walk with God, we have victory. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Those are the kinds of scriptures that we have to meditate on and build our lives in, build, them, build our lives around. But just because it doesn't feel like it doesn't mean that it's not true. So many times we we're afflicted. There's sickness that comes upon our physical bodies and we're afflicted. Yet we know that the Bible says that by Jesus stripes we're healed. We know that we're in covenant with him. The enemy tries and tries and tries and tries to get us discouraged and tries to get us to believe, tries to get us to confess that God is not for us, that God somehow doesn't love us, that God somehow has forsaken us, even in just the littlest things. But it's not true. We have to remember the enemy is the father of lies. There was not a lie that was ever created in creation until the enemy began to bring it forth. And a lie has no power until you listen to it. 
until you accept it, until you receive it. And let me tell you the converse of that, the word of God has no power until you receive it, until you hear it, and until you listen to it. This morning I was thinking about the sower sows the word, Mark 4. The word falls on, on different types of grounds, and we always think of different types of people when we think of different, I don't know, do you guys think that? I always think of different types of people when we think about that. But did you know that depending on your day, depending on your situation, and depending on your circumstance, your heart can be any one of those grounds. When you're, when you're discouraged and you're distressed and you're upset, your heart can be that thorny ground that reaches up and strangles and chokes the word and deprives it of power and makes it not bring forth its, its seed, not bring forth its harvest. I'm talking about Christians, word of faith, sitting in church, Wednesdays, Sundays, never missing a sermon, who just yield over just a little bit. I'm talking about me. Right? It's like, it's a hard little sermon. Hold on, there's joy coming. <laughs> Amen. Amen? So not every moment of your life will feel like victory. In fact, this was so important that God told us this four different times. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. He said, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright within him, but the just shall live by his faith. Amen? Amen? In Romans chapter 1, and we'll actually come back to this one too, so if you're following along and you want to put a marker there, you, will, you can put a marker there. But Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So what are we supposed to live by? Faith, faith not feelings, right? Um, righteousness here is equity of character. In verse 16, he states that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. That's what he's talking about when he says, therein is the righteousness of, of God revealed. It's the gospel of God. It's the power of God. So the just shall live by, by faith. Galatians 3.11 says that no man be justified by the law in his sight, for it is evident the just shall live by faith, right? So I told you there's four, there's one more. Does that tell you that this is important? Does that tell you that this is something that God knows you're going to struggle with? That God knows you're going to need to hear over and over and over? That at various times in, in creation, as he's having his holy men of God write the word, this is coming up over and over and over. Why? Because it's a common occurrence to all men from the very beginning of time. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 38, it says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So who is the just? We are the just, but what, what does that mean? Oh, I got you. Who is the just? The innocent. The holy. The um, theological dictionary of the New Testament describes the just this way. And you tell me how, how you fit in. You don't have to tell me. You tell God. This, is, this person is someone who is wholly conformed to the will of God in thought, feeling, and action. So when I think about the just living by faith, and I think that the just is somebody who's wholly living for God in thought, feeling, and action, and I think about how we react to a situation that's unpleasant in the flesh, this tells me you've got to keep your mind stayed on God. 
you have to keep your mind stayed on the word. Because if you don't, you can't live by faith. And if you can't live by faith, you can't receive the promises of God, and you're not pleasing God, we're not going to have that victory. And all that's going to happen is we're going to live like natural men outside of the supernatural. But that's not at all how God intends for us to live. Amen? So we don't live in the moment. We don't move by what we see. We don't move by circumstances that are surrounding us. We're moved by faith. We're moved by the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, the word faith, we all know it's uh, 41, 4102 in the Strong's Concordance, and it's the word uh, pistis, and it's persuasion. It's credence, it's moral conviction of a religious truth or the truthfulness of God or a religious teacher. It is especially reliance upon Christ for salvation. It's assurance, belief, faith, and fidelity. There's a, a root word to the word faith, and it's uh, the Greek word 3982, and it's uh, pitho, P-I-T-H-O. And uh, I found this really funny. I've never seen this before. The root word means to convince and to pacify. And so I'm talking to God about walking by faith, and I'm thinking, you really want me to stand up in front of people who've been in this faith church for 20 years and talk about faith? Yes. Amen. You really want me to... I'm preaching to the choir, God. Well, sometimes the choir needs to hear it too, right? How many of you knew that the root word in, in, to the word faith would mean to convince or to pacify? I never heard that before. And you know what? God works with me with images. Mothers, I need your help here. When a baby is crying, when a baby is screaming, when a baby has not their fleshly needs met, what do you do? Pray. <laughs> you pray. <laughs> when, when, when Jay, pick them up and hold them. And that is very, very true. Because that's what we crave more than anything is presence. We need to know that we're loved. We need to know that we're supported. Amen. But for those moments when you're in a restaurant and your baby's crying and you're freaking out, there's this little rubber piece that they like to suck on. And as a father, I don't have the patience, or I didn't have the patience. Thank God those days are past. But... <laughs> But I didn't have, like, the patience to do it nicely. With me, it was more like, just suck on this thing and be quiet right now. <laughs> but Christine would go, you know, tap his lip, and Jason, and then he'd grab it, and then he'd, for the rest of the whole thing. And, it, and you'd just calm right down. And God told me, sometimes that's what faith does with you, with me. I'm not saying with you, but if the Holy Spirit bears witness, <laughs> go with it. But he tells me, when I get stressed out, when I get upset, when I get offended, when I get 
wrapped up in, in the things of the world when they're afflicting me and I feel like I've fallen into a pit and I begin to cry out and begin to say things that I shouldn't say, the Holy Spirit is there tapping on the, my upper lip, sticking a pacifier of faith in me and telling me, quit saying those things. Quit thinking those things. Relax. And you know, the good thing about when Jason was a baby, he's not here so I could say anything I want, is... When he was a baby and, and he would start sucking on that thing, he'd get all relaxed and he'd just melt and then he'd fall asleep. Babies are so great when they're asleep. They're fun anyways, you know, you, you love your kids. But, but man, when they've been crying and you're, you're oh, in public, you, they're beautiful when they sleep. They're so beautiful when they sleep. And God wants us to know that he's going to take care of everything. The babies will rest and the babies will sleep. Because they're assured all their needs are going to be met. They're comforted. That's what a pacifier does to a baby is it gives them comfort. And God wants us to know that he's, he's comforting us. And that's kind of where we're going with this. So um, let's go to, and this is the scripture I told you to watch out for. Um, well, first of all, I need to continue. The one thing that... that God is bringing forth in a situation where you feel like you're overwhelmed and swamped is hope. If you don't have hope, you can't get out. But once, once you have hope that's instilled in you, and that's what the word brings, is hope that something can change, something can be different. Once that hope is there, then you have something to, to seize on to. And so what God wants you to know is uh, God has a plan for you. And it will work out. Even in the midst of the worst situation, the worst circumstance, even in the midst of, of terribleness, the plan will still work out. I was thinking about Job. Talk about a bad day. <laughs> I want to read this to you. Talk about a bad day. Job. Job chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. So there's a man in the land of Uz whose name is Job. He was perfect and upright. He was one that feared God and eschewed evil. So this isn't just, you know, he, he loves God. He believes in God. He had issues. For sure he had issues. But he loved God. He made God a center of his life. And so Satan, of course, comes and says, does he worship you for nothing? And, you know, he says, do you have this hedge around him? Well, thank God for that hedge of protection. Amen. And so Satan goes and he afflicts him. And so Job is, is standing there. And, and one day his sons and daughters are eating and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and he said, the oxen were plowing, the asses were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and they took them away. And they've slain all your servants by the edge of the sword. And I'm the only one who left, who was, survived to, to get here to tell you this. That's bad news. It's a bad day. While he was yet speaking, that's the hardest phrase I've ever read. While he was yet speaking, there came another, and he said, fire from God has fallen. How many of you know that's not fire from God? Fire from God has fallen and has burned up the sheep and the servants, and they're consumed, and I alone escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking... 
There came another, and he said, the Chaldeans have made their way, this band, and they've fallen upon the camels, and they've carried them away, and they've taken and slain your servants by the edge of the sword, and I'm the only one who survived to tell you. And yet, while he was speaking, there came another, and he said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking in their eldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and I alone were the only one who survived. Sometimes, when you're in the midst of a bad day, think of Job. Your day is not that bad. That bad. You haven't lost everything. It feels like it. There's, there's no situation that feels worse than yours. Right? But Job, what did he do? He, uh, verse 20, it says that he ran his mantle, he shaved his head, and he fell down on the ground, and he worshipped. He even had a wife who said, you know what, curse God and die. I often wonder when I read this, I wonder if Job thought, man, too bad you weren't in that house. <laughs> right? But that's just the fleshly side of me. <laughs> right? But that's a bad day. Um, now let's go to the scripture that in, uh, we want to go to John chapter 16. And talk about a different bad day. The Holy Spirit will prepare you for the things that are to come. Amen. The Holy Spirit is good. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for wisdom, revelation, knowledge, supernatural insights Amen. that come. Because if you're in tune with him and you're listening to him, you know what's coming. You may not want to hear it. You may reject it when you do hear it. But you'll at least know that it's coming. Right? So, John chapter 16, verse uh, 1. This whole chapter, Jesus is beginning to tell them he's going to be crucified, he's going to die. He is going away. Everything that, that these people have, have been around him and they've gotten used to him and they have expectation that something great is going to happen, but they have no idea what's really going to happen. I'm sure a lot of the disciples, like a lot of the, the nation, felt that he was going to come and establish a kingdom, that he was going to set up a rule and a reign right then on earth, and they had no idea of how big the plan of God really was. So Jesus begins to, to talk to him, and he says, These things I have spoken unto you that you might not be offended. And I thought, man, we all know, we've heard about offense, right? When, when you're offended, um, it's the word uh, scandalon, and it's the bait stick, it's the trap. And that's what the enemy is trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you offended at your situation and your circumstance when you're having a bad day. Because if he can get you offended at God or at other people, then he can isolate you. And if he can isolate you, you can be taken down easily. We don't want to be taken down. And he knows he can't take you down as long as God is present in your life. As long as you are relying upon him, he knows he has no shot, no chance. He can never overwhelm him. 
you know, uh, John talked about uh, the darkness in uh, John chapter 1. It says the darkness comprehended him not when, he, when he's describing Jesus. And when it talks about the darkness comprehending him not, it means that the power, the darkness has no power to take down the light. That light is, the, is God living in us. Amen. And that is a promise you can never, ever be stopped unless we get offended. So in the midst of all this, he, he's talking to him and he's telling him all these things that are happening. And then he says, because I've said these things to you in verse six, your heart is filled with sorrow. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient. It is for your good that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. Now, this is amazing to me. The Holy Spirit has many names and many titles. He's a counselor. He's, you know, the Spirit of God. He, he's, he's shown in, in, in a flame of fire. He's so many things. He's the power of God. He's the dunamis power of God like dynamite. And yet, in a time of crisis, in a time where he knew that they were going to need the, something different, he calls the Holy Spirit the comforter. And I think that's really amazing. And what God was, was sharing with me about that is in a time of trouble, people want to operate as a counselor. And what I mean by that is that people want to give answers. People want to say, oh, well, the word says you should be overjoyed and overcome and happy and so, right? God knew the condition of their hearts. He knew that sadness was going to be upon them. And so what did he do? He tells them, I'm sending you a comforter. He didn't tell them, I'm sending you the power of God. I'm sending you the anointing of God to heal the sick and, and raise the dead and, and free the captives. But now he told them, in this moment, what you need is the comforter. You need comfort. And really, God stressed that to me. And so I'm really going to stress it to you. When you encounter someone who is in the midst of a trial, be very careful with your words. Be very, very careful with how you react and respond. Because what you may be doing from love, from compassion, may not be ministering the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? You can bring forth the word, but the word is a sword. And it can cut. That, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will cut. And, and the sword in the hands of, of a surgeon, a knife in the hands of a surgeon, can promote healing, can promote health, can do exactly what needs to be done. But the hands in somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, who's not trained, who hasn't really thought things through, it can bring forth destruction. And I know, I know a lot of Christians who have been through situations where, where they've gone through some sort of trauma. And somebody has responded to them meaning well, bringing them the word, or trying to bring them some sort of encouragement. And what they've really done is driven a wedge between them and God. Because they begin to ask questions like, why did this happen to me? Why did God allow this to happen to me? 
Well, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the Lord. No, no. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from God. There's no shadow of turning. But yet people mean well, but they just don't know what they say. And just be very, very careful. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, the pastor said something 20 years ago. She said, the Holy Spirit will always be a gentleman. And, and that's kind of what I mean by when, he's talk, when I was talking about the pacifier and me, I just jammed that thing into Jason. Well, no, that's not the way the Holy Spirit operates. He's a gentleman. If we're being led by the Holy Spirit, we will be too. Amen. Um, so now in John chapter 16, let's drop down here real quick. In verse 20, it says, Verily, verily, I say to you that you shall weep and lament. The world shall rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Don't look at present circumstances. Don't dwell on present circumstances. Don't stay where you're at. In fact, I didn't read you the nugget, and I never have a nugget, but I have a nugget for you. It's by Winston Churchill, and it's good advice. It says, if you're going through hell, keep going. It's pretty simple, right? But you know what? Too many people want to camp out in misery. Too many people just want to hang out in in defeat. It's comfortable. It's easy. There's no expectation of anything. You don't have to change anything to be defeated all the time. You don't have to change anything. And change is uncomfortable. But God promises, you know, he was promising them, yeah, you're going to be upset and you're going to cry. You're going to see me crucified. You're going to see me dead hanging on a cross, you're going to see them take down my lifeless body and put it in a tomb, and you are going to cry. You are going to be sad. Don't be surprised. But hang on, because that's not the end. And they had no idea what he was saying. And so many times, God's telling us something that's coming, and he's warning us, and he's telling us, this is going to happen, and we're going, yeah, yeah, I got that. No, this is going to happen But when it happens, maintain the course because joy is coming. And we go, yeah, yeah, I got that. And then it happens, and we're like, stunned. What just happened? And we forget what God has said. But we have to hold true to the promises of God because joy is coming. Amen? Um, So when someone's around us and they're in a trial, um, don't forget that God wants us to respond in comfort. Maintain and uphold the promises of God. Be careful how you wield it. This is the scripture that I told you you wouldn't be happy about. Are you ready? I need a drink before we do this here. Let's get a drink of water. John chapter 16. When I first got born again, I thought that when you got born again, sunshine and roses, man, sunshine and roses. I was in a mess when I got born again, and I thought that the minute I prayed that prayer, everything was going to change. Everything did change, not the way I thought. I was in debt and destitute and 
broke and destroyed and broken and everything you could possibly imagine. And I prayed that prayer and I felt the release of it all. But guess what? The next morning when I woke up, I still had all that to deal with. And I couldn't understand it because I was misinformed. Not intentionally, but I was misinformed what was going to happen. So that we're not misinformed, Jesus included this in his lecture to uh, his people. John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, These things I have spoken unto, unto you that in me you might have peace. Period. End of statement. Close the book. We're done. That would have been great. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We can shout. We can run, right? But that's not where he ended. There's a period there, but that's not the end of the statement. He says, in me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Thank God he didn't end there. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And I think, honestly, this is one of the, one of the most misunderstood verses that I ever dealt with. First, thing, first things first, these things he's spoken, all of these things he's talking about from the beginning to the end, from, from you know, in this case, from John 16, one down, you know, the offense, the, the things that are coming, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection, all of these things that I have spoken, I've spoken with you that in me you might have peace. The key there is in me. The key there is, is in him. We might have peace. What is peace? Peace is the word irony, not irony. Irony. It, it's, a, it's a joining of two different words. The first word is uh, ero, E-I-R-O, and that means to join. Peace involves prosperity, both literal and figurative. It involves oneness. It's quietness. It's rest. And it literally means to set at one again. So God is saying, when you're in the midst of the worst situation and circumstance in your life, if you remain in him, he will put you at one again. He will enjoin himself to you. You will not walk through it alone. Pastor said, when you're comforting a baby, you pull him in and you hold him close. And that calms them. And that is what God is saying here. When you're in the midst of your trouble and your situation, I'm there. I'm present with you. I have wrapped my arms around you and I am loving you. I am strengthening you. I am emboldening you. I am flooding you and filling you with not only my power, but with my presence. And just like the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, he is trembling inside waiting for the word of God to be spoken, that he might cause it to come forth and accomplish that which is, is desired. And that is peace. That is peace. So these things I've spoken that unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Tribulation doesn't come from God, notice. Tribulation comes from the world. Amen? It's the word thalipsis, and it means pressure. When you start feeling pressure, that's a red flag that you're out of God. When you start feeling pressure to make a decision, God's not in that decision. 
when you start feeling pressure that you have to do something, that's works. When you start feeling pressure in, in that situation, whatever it may be, that's a red flag. Stop. Wait. The peace of God always goes with the presence of God. Don't just jump in. Mistakes will be made. Costly mistakes. Amen? So that's the ellipsis. That's, that's that. The root word of the ellipsis is the leo, and it means to crowd. You know, God always gives you free range. When you're with God, you just feel like, I mean, it's just like, wow, so nice. You're not being bumped and shoved and pushed around. You're not in the midst of six lanes of traffic, right? But even if you are and you're with God, I didn't tell you the rest of it. When I started praying, my anger started ceasing, and the cars around me diminished. And the peace of God began to flood the car. And it was like, wow, this is not bad at all. I still wanted to be home. <laughs> Amen. But, but the peace of God was there. Amen. Now, this is why I say that this is one of the most misunderstood scriptures. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. When you read this word cheer, you think, oh, you should be happy. Right? Cheerful. Smiling. Be of good cheer. This word cheer, it is not happiness. This word cheer means to have courage. This word's cheer's root word is boldness. Because you have courage, you can walk in peace. You walk in oneness with him. Jesus is not telling his disciples, you need to be happy while I'm being killed. He's telling them, no, you can be sad. I know you're going to be scared. I know you're going to be confused. You're going to be seeing things. Stick to the plan. Then he tells them, I've overcome the world. The word overcome means that he stripped it of all of its power. So the only power that the world can have over you, the only power that that pressure can have over you is that which you allow. That which you grant access to. And that's it. He's overcome the world. So I want to I go back. Um, well, I'll read one more thing. Um, overcome, the root word is Nike. It's not just a shoe brand. It means conquest. And it means that it's a means of success. So what that tells me is that when Jesus is saying that he's overcome the world, it means that he's made a way for success to happen. You don't have to just wallow and wait. But you can begin to walk forward in boldness and encourage and walk on towards your victory. Right? Like Winston Churchill would say, when you're walking through the midst of hell, keep going. That's what he's telling you. Have courage to take another step. It takes courage to take another step. When you feel that you have no strength and you have to go on, it takes courage to take another step. And then another step. And then another step. And before you know it, you're walking and leaping and praising God. But that first step takes courage. It takes boldness. It takes strength that goes beyond your natural self. Because your natural self is crushed. 
Your natural self is overwhelmed. Your natural self is in the bottom of a pit that you see no way out of, but yet God, the Holy Spirit, is leading you out. And as we yield ourselves over to him and allow him to, to lead us, he's giving us his strength. He's causing our mortal bodies to be quickened, and we're coming alive to him, and we're moving on. And that first step, we tell every power of darkness, every power that Satan has thrown against you, you will not stop me. You will not stop the plan of God in my life. You will not dissuade me from my mission. I will complete it. I will run the course, and I will finish it with joy. Amen. Amen? All right, last scripture. I told you we were going to go back here. It's uh, Romans chapter 1. Is this making sense to you guys? Amen. Amen. Sometimes it's pretty easy to get discouraged. Sometimes it's pretty easy to look at what's going on in the natural. And I got to tell you, that I, I'm being 100% honest with you when I tell you I wrote this for me. Because you guys don't need it. I do, right? But in all honesty, I wrote this for me because there's so many times where I get trapped in, in looking at the natural. There's so many times where it's like, man, I just want to give up. This is so hard. The struggle is too much. I'm overwhelmed. And I have to continually remind myself that God is for me who can be against me. That in my weakness, I'm made strong in him. That there's a plan for what's going on, for, for the purposes, for his purposes, for what's going on. And sometimes, you know, we talked about the day-to-day. -day. We talked about how we'll fight to keep routines, right? Because they're comfortable. Sometimes... It's hard to keep doing that routine because you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. You're your own worst critic. I've had, I've had a couple different people, people that are strong in faith, people that are strong in God, that don't recognize how strong they are in God. Tell me, I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. I can see the growth. I see huge potential and huge growth, and I can't believe they're even uttering it. Because when I look at these people, I think, wow, God is really moving strongly through them. God has such a powerful ministry. So many ways they've encouraged me. In so many ways they've changed my life. But yet, they don't feel like they're doing anything. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then I think, man, I wonder if I'm that way. And God tells me I am, but it's hard to see because it's hard to see your own self successful in God sometimes, right? Anyways, uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 17. I want to read you the Dan version. The, um, it says, Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And we, when we defined faith, we said that faith was the holiness, um, or we said that faith was Reliance upon Christ for salvation. I told you that righteousness is the holiness and the justice of God. And so I'd like to read this to you, my, my version. It says, for therein, and the therein is in the word, uh, Romans 1.16, talking about the gospel being the power of God unto salvation. You know, when you're in the midst of a mess, that's what you need is salvation. That's all you want. 
Save me, God. Right? For, so therein is the righteousness, the holiness, and the justice of God revealed from faith, reliance upon Christ for salvation, to faith, reliance upon Christ for salvation. The just shall live by their faith. Amen. Every day of your life is a step. Every moment of your life is a step. Every single moment that we, we're alive and we're breathing, we have the opportunity to stand still or to move forward and to move on. And every single step that we take, we have to take in faith. We have to take in reliance upon God. There was a, a show that I watched once years ago and... Um, it was kind of a weird show, but there was one scene that's always stood out to me. They come to this, there's this giant cavern. And you're like, huh, how do I get across this cavern? And the man who's with him is supposed to be their guide. He tells them there's an invisible bridge across the cavern. You can't see it, but it's there. All you need to do is just walk across. And so this guy stands there. And he's like, I ain't taking a step. That's a long way down. <laughs> and so he stands and stands and stands and stands and stands. And he says, well, you go. And he says, no, you have to go first. It's the only way to grant, get access into this place where they're going. And the guy says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Finally, he decides, I'm going to do it. Tentatively. He steps onto it, and sure enough, there's an invisible solid bridge that goes right across the cavern, and he's able to walk right through. And sometimes I think that's what our life is like. Sometimes I think that we're standing there, and we're a little tentative. God, I don't know. Is, are you going to support me? Are you sure it's going to work this time? Are you sure it's... Oh, yeah, there's something there. Okay. Now I can rest and trust confidently in God. But guess what? You're not getting across that thing if you take one step. You're going to be stuck like this forever. And everything you want is on the other side. It takes, takes more than one step. And that first step is the hardest one because that's the one that challenges your faith. As soon as you know that something's there, somebody's supporting you, as soon as you know that there's reality in that, the walk becomes easier. So I encourage you guys. When you're faced with trouble, trauma, and you know, this isn't just for you in the aspect of when you're faced with trouble and trauma, but this is also for the people who are around you. Oh, I lied. I'm sorry. There's one more scripture. I was supposed to do this, and I totally forgot. I, I'm sorry. It was in the middle, too, and it was really good. I really liked it. Sorry. I wrote it on the side, and I highlighted it, and I forgot it. Romans chapter 15, um, and hopefully this will fit right in, but I, I believe it will. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, it says, For then we who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. For every one of us pleases his neighbor unto his good or for his good to edification. Even so, Christ pleased not himself, for as is written, the reproaches of him that reproach thee fell upon me. For whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comforts of the scriptures might have hope. 
And now the God of patience and consolation grant you that you would be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus. This, this scripture is kind of what I was trying to say here at the end is it's not just for us. We're strong in faith. We know the word. We, we know God, right? Right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> if you don't, we're going to set you up with something. <laughs> but we're strong in faith. We, we know God. But we also know people who aren't. We also know people who are strong in faith, but go through things. You're not always strong. There's moments where you're weak. There's moments where you need each other. And what, what God is saying here in, in verse uh, 1, it says, Bear the infirmities of the weak so as not to please ourselves, but let everyone please his neighbor unto his good edification. Building up. Building up. Strengthening. Putting in those center support poles. Oh, there's a little bit of weakening in the foundation here. Well, let's strengthen that. Let's build that person up, right? And then I really, really like, and this, was, this is why I went back to this. Verse 5, it says, um, or verse 4, Whatsoever things were written before time were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Remember we talked about how key hope was? Now get this, verse 5, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you that you be like-minded towards one another in Christ Jesus. The words patience and comfort in verse 4 that are describing the word in you are the exact same words that are used for the God of patience and consolation. What he's saying is God in you is the same as God himself. The word in you is the same as God himself. So powerful. I can't believe I forgot to tell you that. Forgive me. So that's it. Amen. Does anybody need healing today? All right. Well, let's all stand. Thank you all for being good listeners. Thank you. Thank you. God is good all the time. Guess what? You're in him and he's in you. That means you are good all the time. Amen? Amen. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who is teacher. We thank you, Father God, that as we leave these places, Father God, as we leave this house, that your presence goes with us, Father God, that your word uh, just revolves around in our heart, Father God, that it brings forth that which you desire, Father God. And Father, I just thank you and praise you that as we reach out to those who are hurting, those who are lost, Father God, around us in the world, Father God, I thank you that we'll reach forth with the love of God, with the compassion of God. And we just give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.